Coming up on the exam room. What are the odds that you would hit that genetic jackpot? And I don't know if the genetic jackpot is a particular age. I, I might reframe that and say the genetic jackpot is the time that we have, the quality of the life that we experience. And when you experience life is wonderful with however many years you have, to me, that's a jackpot. Because we can live to 120. And if we're miserable throughout that time, that's not really impacting our life in any profound, significant way. Or we might not even want to live to 120 <laughs> if we're traveling down that path. Right. And, and we do believe that genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So whatever your destiny is, whatever you want to call it, everything that you do that makes life less wonderful is taking numbers off of that. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Overland Park, Kansas, Wasilla, Alaska, and Lahore, Pakistan. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 55 of season 6, number 451 overall. Today's show features a couple of first-time guests. A pair of doctors who take a larger view when it comes to aging healthfully and gracefully. And as they say, joyfully as well. Doctors Alona Polde and Matthew Letterman are here with us. They are executive producers of the famed Forks Over Knives documentary and also co-authors of the new book, Wellness to Wonderful. And this book, you know, usually there are six pillars of lifestyle medicine, but this book looks at nine fundamental pillars for health. And here's the gist when it comes to that. Like nutrition, the key to aging well is to have a wide variety of things on your proverbial plate. So instead of packing a plate full of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, when it comes to the plate of life, you want to fill it with things like staying active and playing, having fun, getting a good night's sleep, having good family and friends, getting satisfaction from your work, and of course, eating healthfully. But it's those connections, those connections we build with the people around us that we are going to be spending a lot of time talking about here on the show today. And yeah, it's a little bit different kind of conversation than what we usually have. But nonetheless, the research shows that these other pillars outside of food, they are essential for longevity and optimal health. And isn't that really what we all strive for anyway? Of course it is. And that's why we're talking about it here on the show. And as an example of how well this idea can work, well, we're going to be talking about a 109-year-old man who was still going out on dates, is fiercely independent and fiercely fit. The kind of guy who well after turning 100 was still out in his driveway washing his car with the hose and a sponge doing it the old school way. This guy is an awesome example of what could be. So let's see what could be for you. A great conversation about healthy aging with Drs. Alona Polde and Matthew Letterman. It is so good to see you both. Thanks for making the time. Oh, thanks so much for having yes, us. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. You guys, controversially, there are six pillars in lifestyle medicine. This book has nine. So we're talking about three bonus pillars, which means that we really are going uh, from wellness to wonderful here. Before we get into the nine, though, let's talk about what the difference is between wellness, which given where we are with the state of health in this country and globally, seems like, man, it would be really good if we could just achieve that. But you guys still are taking it to another level with wonderful. What is the difference between the two? Yes. Yeah, so the, the way we think about 
wellness is is sort of the way I thought about it, which was I got to eat a certain diet, I got to sleep a certain amount, I got to exercise, and I got to do the resistance, and I got to do the cardiovascular, I got to do the stretching. So it's all the sort of boxes, check them, check, check, check. Um, and what we found was that that helped reverse a lot of disease and problems and definitely improved health. But there were other things that continued to be problematic, including everything from issues with chronic pain, which I dealt with personally, to um, people having mood mood challenges or mood disorders or um, fatigue and things like chronic fatigue and, and even things like just other chronic inflammatory conditions that wouldn't quite respond to those those alone. And we had to expand it first through sort of experimentation on ourselves. But then uh, com compiling all the data, it was pretty pretty clear to us to understand, oh, wow, this act, there's actually data and significant data around how all of this connects and fits together. And that's where we came and, and said, we got to put a book together that outlines this. And then hopefully, you know, just like 15, 20 years ago, it was why are all the, what are you talking about plant-based diets, right? And that was, that was a little bit off, you know, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Now it's mainstream. We hope that connection and some of this, this other stuff that we talk about becomes mainstream to the point that we like to talk about something called nutrition, lifestyle, and connection medicine. And I think if I were going to add just one thing in addition to all that Matt shared would be that, you know, we know wellness and we strive for wellness. I think one of the key things that prevents us from living in wonderful is the inability to actually sustain the changes that we're making. And so in Wellness to Wonderful, we really try and make it practical and easy and accessible so that and and this is like Matt said, this is experiential as much as it is evidence based where we have lived it and we have practiced it and we have pulled from that, what works for us and what hasn't worked, saved you the hassle of having to deal with all that hasn't worked and are presenting what we have found to truly work and take you through illness to wellness and all the way up to wonderful. How important is it, do you think, for caregivers, physicians to have been through it themselves? How much um, does that lend to, I guess, the patient outcomes for the people whom they're working with, I would imagine that having that compassion and kind of, you know, giving the person footsteps to follow in really leads to a greater outcome for that individual. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so helpful when you've had that experience, right? When you've, you've um, gone through it yourself, there's something that you can connect with a patient, maybe in ways that's harder when you haven't. But this idea of, of wonderful as the benchmark, right? Instead of getting back to your baseline or just focusing on checking boxes, which sometimes, in fact, I did this. You can do it with an intensity that actually stimulates pro-inflammatory markers so that if you're intensely type A, you know, I got to run even though I don't want to, or I've got to eat this way and I'm miserable, but I'm forcing myself to do it, or I, I got to get this sleep. I got to get to sleep. It doesn't matter. I got to get that intensity actually stimulates pro-inflammatory uh, pathways. And we talk about that in Wellness to Wonderful. And what's important is that instead, if you back back up even more, instead of just focusing on, on wellness, which is important, we focus on this, what we, we define as a physiological state of sort of this life is wonderful. Then what happens is all of these other issues fall into place without, without that intensity, without that, those pro-inflammatory markers, without those stress hormones being stimulated, for example. So in other words, if you're eating a, a really healthy diet, um, but, and the doctors, you know, to your question, the doctors struggle with this too. A lot of doctors we work with or talk to where they're struggling at home with their connections. They're struggling with finding meaning and purpose in their work because they're forced to do things and spend five minutes with a patient or to just give them pills that sometimes don't help with the issues or often don't help with the issues. So the physicians are struggling with this and we can, and you can sort of help them start to get that experience and you can help them give these new tools, expand their perspective. And not only can they make their own lives more wonderful and their own jobs more wonderful, they can contribute to their patients in a way that makes the patient's life more wonderful 
and the diseases get better and they happen to stick with the diet that they were struggling with before and they get the sleep they need and they do the activity they need to. So does that I make sense? I think there's a definite resonance, uh, a greater resonance around those doctors that come from a space where they're practicing this lifestyle and can share an empathy can have an empathic and, and sympathetic presence to um, a patient's experience. And in fact, there are studies that show the huge impact of a physician who comes with an empathic presence. Right. So if a there's studies that show, we've talked about this in Wellness to One for a little bit, that if you have an, uh, a doctor that gets a high empathy score compared to a doctor that has low empathy scores, just the difference in their empathy, empathic connection with their patients affects the, phys the physical health of the patient. So to me, that's really, that was fascinating, right? So if you have high empathy doctors, their connection with their patient as a result, you'll find patients with, I think it was 29% better uh, hemoglobin A1Cs. They had 25% uh, of the patients were more likely to have an LDL, a low LDL or a, a better controlled LDL. There was a 41% better uh, or lower odds risk of having acute metabolic complications in diabetics, uh, pro, uh, microbiome improves, their tolerance of pain shifts. In other words, if you have a high trust relationship with your doctor, the, the patient feels pain from a stimulus, from a stimulus that, uh, from that painful stimulus, much less, significantly less than a patient with a low trust relationship with that same stimulus though. So the same stimulus causes more pain if you have a low trust relationship with your doctor. Even the pain centers in the brain light up more when you have a low trust relationship with your doctor. So connection is so important for the physical health of the patient. That's key to take home. That's, and that's wild to me is you're talking of, and you guys are, are big on that word, the C word here, connection. That should be, you know, uppercase, bold, italicized, underlined, you name it for the purposes of this conversation. It really wasn't until I started delving into the book and now with this conversation nine minutes in that I'm starting to understand just how important that connection is. And I was just reading an article in the Washington Post about a gentleman who lived to be 109, outlived his wife and at least a couple of girlfriends thereafter. And here's this guy over 100 years old, still thrives on conversations, still thrives on talking to people and having friends and building these relationships. And through that, he's able to maintain what he credits he's he maintained his physical health through that like he just never slowed down he never said eh i'm 80 years old i'm supposed to be old now i'm 90 years old i'm i'm supposed to be sitting in my chair and just counting down the days this guy's like 102 and out there washing a car in his driveway i mean does it still astound you even with the research just how much having that purpose or that connection in life can play to those physical things that you were just talking about i think it's always super gratifying to hear examples of people living and experiencing that life and it you know all of the the research that kind of led to wellness to wonderful um it's just, it's, it's validating. So hearing someone actually live it, hearing someone actually experiencing it, coming from the place of, hey, you know, from these connections, from, and you know, you see that in like places like the blue zones and um, where people focus on community and connection along with the other parameters of health. And they do experience not only health and longevity, but greater joy in living these longer lives. Yeah, I find it. I find it really fascinating. The data. There's some impressive data out there. We even taught. We even looked at um, one uh, researcher who talks about this term salogenesis, where he points out a lot of people think that there's pathogenesis, the cause of disease, but then salogenesis, the cause of, of healing. And the pathway to healing is not just sort of stopping the pathway to disease. You actually have to shift things in your life to promote the healing pathways. Right. So in other words, just removing the toxic burden or removing what's causing the disease is not going to be enough. You have to shift your life in a way. And there's actually data that shows this, how all of the 
the cells at even at the level at the ATP level, right? I mean, at that level, your body and the cell shift. There's even something called the cell danger response that gets turned on and off, right? At the monocyte level, which is a type of white blood cell, right? You can see the, the changes in these cells based on if they're in a state of sort of threat or danger or safety. And connection is one of the number one ways that we can experience a physiological state of safety. And this is talked about a, a lot, and there's data supporting this as well. But it's what we do when we're in a state of danger, a physiological, physiological state of danger, we, we turn on all of our pro-inflammatory pathways, pro-inflammatory cytokines, uh, pro-inflammatory hormones, adrenaline, cortisol. We shift blood flow in our body away from our viscera, out to our extremities. The gut doesn't work properly without, without being in a physiological state of safety. When we suppress emotion, when we repress, when we disconnect, when we have the sense that we're isolated, it's not just being around people, but there's actually being connected and trusting those people care, whether it's friends or our doctors or our family, that puts our body into a physiological state that promotes health and healing. So then what we said was knowing this, how do we help people do that? So that's the other part of the book is, okay, if you are open enough to these concepts, you're, you have the humility to say, hey, I need help. I'm struggling, which me and alone are first in line to stand up and say when we're struggling. Then what do we do? And that's what we add as well. And there's some real, that's where nonviolent communication, for example, as one of the modalities came in to really help support people with a framework to achieve these changes and transformations. Is it difficult for you all? as leaders in this space to admit your vulnerabilities like that? Or again, does that go back to what it is that we were talking about earlier with that uh, empathetic relationship that you have with your readers, others in your life, um, where it really does help everybody kind of come together collectively and heal? I think it's actually empowering. I think the only way to do different is to know different. And if you, you know, part of the, the core of the nine pillars is connection to self. And if we can't tap into our own vulnerabilities or our own areas that need attention, then the, the ability to actually dive in and, and make any of those changes is pretty challenging to impossible. And it, and it not only makes you know, being vulnerable not only makes my life better, but I have a, I have a belief that it makes everybody in my family's life better. So for example, just yesterday, right? I was irritated about something and I responded to Alona with tone, right? But it was disconnecting like a snap, right? And I got irritable, but then I started judging myself for being irritable. And I'm like, well, you, sh you know, you should apologize. You know, that wasn't nice. But then I was stuck in this sort of, I'm ashamed and embarrassed that I just had that reaction, I should know better, right? So then I felt it in my body, I felt tense, I felt a weight, I felt fatigue, my stomach was just a little bit off because I'm holding all of this in. And then I went to my kids who we also teach nonviolent communication and I used that not only to help me, but to also help them. And I said, hey, you know those times, Kylie, which is our 11 year old daughter, and I said, you know those times where you get upset and then you like, oh, why did I get upset? But then you feel embarrassed and ashamed that you're upset and you can't stop yourself and get out of it. And she goes, oh yeah, dad, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm in that right now with mom. What do you think I should do? She goes, I think you should, why don't you just tell her? It always makes me feel better once I tell her. So then I said, hey, Alona, I'm feeling embarrassed and ashamed and I just need your help with this. Can you help me? And she very, very warmly embraced me and I got this sense of warmth in my body. I felt this openness and expansiveness. I felt closer to her. And my kids were, and I said, oh, I did it. And, my, and they celebrated with me. So we all got close. And the interesting thing is that's not just a warm, nice to have. There are physio physical changes and shifts in my body as a result of when I didn't do it. And then when I shifted and transformed, did it. So to me, and then the question is, well, how do we do that? And that's part of the skills that we teach people. And they're like, well, why are doctors teaching these sort of fluffy, warm skills? And the point is, I think we're just a little bit early on the curve, but it's going to become more and more clear about how this, this affects our physical health, because now we can measure it. Before we couldn't, we just knew it felt better. Mm. 
That's for again. I mean, God bless you guys for just like putting that out there. I think that that's something that so many of us can relate to. As you were telling that story, I'm thinking about something that happened not too terribly long ago between my wife and myself. And you're right. Like every single time, you know, I've gotten short with her or vice versa. You know, it's it's not the most pleasant feeling in the world. And then I think back to this 109 year old guy who had this wonderful. Uh, piece in in the post written about him and another aspect to his life was like he was just super you know kind of laid back is is how he was described and he made it a point and he would tell you about this if you asked him is not to carry around that type of baggage right if you're feeling kind of down or blue or yucky about something just like get it off your chest and move on or look at it in a different light because he found out very early in life there must have been some trauma in childhood that he did not like to carry that stuff around. And so I think that having discovered that perhaps at such a young age really did him well in terms of his physical health as he grew older. I guess my question is this. Well, I, I mean, can I, can I say one thing about that? Absolutely, please. You just highlighted the, the, the gold of the blue zones. They were basically, Dan went and found these places where, where they just tended to do things that led them towards longevity, right? And then later we found the data to support why what they were naturally doing worked. And, and only part of it, right? The data is just as much as we know. I'm sure there's more as we're learning, right? The same thing with that guy. He just knew that, hey, if I get this out, if I get this off my chest, there's something that feels better. And that feeling better also happens to support longevity. Now we know there's studies on expressive writing. So if in this guy, James Pennybaker, thousands and thousands of studies, right? If you go and write about your what's basically what's stressing you out, but deep stuff where you're not going to share that with other people, you write it down for 15 minutes. I think the experiment was, at least the initial ones were five days in a row. And they just got out this stuff that they wouldn't tell anybody. It was never going to be shown to people so they could be free about what they're writing. All sorts of amazing changes happen from heart disease markers to diabetic markers to doctor's visits. And this was writing for 15 minutes, five days in a row. That's one of the tools that we use because it's so powerful. But it's like, wow. I mean, you think about it, right? Just getting it off onto paper. Now, I have Alona, I have my kids, I have other people, but right. getting it out, that power, the damage of repression and, or suppression. That's the key is that's the other side. We repress and suppress and stuff and come um, in connection with other people in what we term artificial harmony, where we're not really showing up as ourselves because we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're in need of acceptance and belonging. And that really takes a damaging toll to our physical health. Right. It's just hard for people to put it all together. And I think that if there was one challenge of our book is that we tried to make it as slim as possible. And, and but there's a lot. Right. I mean, it takes a lot to cause the level of disease that we have today. There's but you put it all together. And if you're patient and you really trust that this makes sense and intuitively you just want to go in that direction, then it doesn't have to happen overnight. But these are all the pieces that you need to put together that we define as getting to a state of life is wonderful. And there's all the tools that you need to get on that pathway. Now, there's some people that will say, oh, I already know how much I got to sleep. I know what I got to eat. Right. So or I, I, you know, I, you know, things are fine with my wife and my kids. But when you look at like what we're talking about, really share, you know, with, with my can you share authentically with your partner? What's going on? Are you hiding stuff? Most people, if I ask them what percent are they keeping to themselves, not because they think their wife would be bored, but because they're worried about their reaction or their partner or their kid, they probably about 20% they still keep hidden, right? That takes a toll physiologically on your health, right? In other words, the nutrition, right? Great that you know about what to eat, but if you're not eating that food, then there's reasons why. And to me, that's where the nine pillars, they all support each other. So if you're if you know what to eat, that's half the battle. The other half is how do I get it into my mouth three times a day? <laughs> right. And that that seems to be the million dollar question for so many of us. Um, let me ask you this, you know, but we're talking about as long as we're talking about like not keeping things bottled up, 
Do you think that because the stereotypical male still somewhat subscribes to the whole strong, silent type, we don't open up nearly enough? We don't erupt like a volcano. We just kind of like swallow our feelings, right? Could that explain some of the age gap? Because what it is you're talking about with that physiological response, man, if you're swallowing those types of feelings for decades and just never getting it out, I would imagine, man, that can do some significant damage. Yeah, for sure. And and even though you can have a whole family around you, you can still be alone together, right? We talk about being alone together versus together together. If you're holding all of your feelings and emotions and your needs, right? We separate feelings and needs. If you're holding all of that inside or you're suppressing your needs to try and stay in a relationship with someone else, all of that has a toll on your health. So it's important though, here's the key. This is where nonviolent communication comes in. A lot of people are like, well, I either keep it to myself to maintain harmony outside. We call that artificial harmony. Or I share what's inside and you know, whatever happens, happens. And they make they blow up their relationships because they're just you know honest, but it's almost harsh, right? There's a third way. How can I become clear on what's alive inside of me and share it so that it feels like a gift to the other person? That's the beauty of nonviolent communication. Right on. And if if you are able to share and, and really express yourself with this nonviolent communication, you don't keep it bottled up. Does that give you like a better chance at hitting that, quote, genetic jackpot, which I'm sure a lot of people think that anybody who lives to be 100 years old reaches? I mean, is that the code in addition to getting enough sleep, um, eating the right things, taking care of yourself, building that connection? You know, like if you implement all of those, what are the odds that you would hit that genetic jackpot? Do we all have the ability to hit it or is some of it still you just do the best with what you were given? Yeah. And I don't know if the genetic jackpot is a particular age. I, I might reframe that and say the genetic jackpot is the time that we have, the quality of the life that we experience. And when you experience life is wonderful with however many years you have, to me, that's a jackpot. Because we can live to 120. And if we're miserable throughout that time, that's not really impacting our, our life in any profound, significant way. Or we might not even want to live to 120 <laughs> if we're traveling down that path. Right. And, and we do believe that, that you know, the uh, genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So whatever your your destiny is, whatever you want to call it, you're going to, you know, everything that you do that makes life less wonderful is taking numbers off of that. So to me, I don't know what your number is, but I do know that you're getting in the way of achieving that number if you don't tend to these nine pillars. And here's the thing, though. Think of these nine pillars as like nine beautiful children. They're never going to be okay where you can just walk away from them and everything's fine now and everybody's happy. It's this dynamic, crazy roller coaster of life that, and we're constantly aware of them and we're tending to them and we're caring for them. If that's the way you think about it and you're checking in every day, you don't say, oh, I checked, you know, the pillars are good. I don't have to check in again. The kids are good. I don't, every day, I mean, with our kids, sometimes it feels like every minute we're checking in with them to make sure, hey, how you doing? And then it's like, well, where do I focus first? They ask us for those answers. And I said, that's like telling me you have nine kids and asking me, which kid do you take care of first? I'll say, well, what's happening with your kids? And they'll say, well, one's falling down the steps and one needs help with their homework. And I'll say, let's focus on the kid falling down the steps. And then we'll go worry about the kid that needs help with homework. If that's how you look at your nine pillars and you're checking internally, like you do with your children, you're on the right track. But if you're looking to me to tell you what to do and which pillar needs the most attention, you're still looking externally versus internally for your direction. And we got to shift that paradigm. I think the example that you gave about this gentleman, the one um, thing that stands out to me is that simplicity of connecting to his, his own body to say, this feels good. And this feels, this is a weight I don't want to carry. This doesn't feel good. And allowing that to kind of gauge those decisions as he moved forward, what is internally feeling good and what doesn't. And 
so when we start there, when and then when we're connected to others and we continue to be motivated to then expand that. So, you know, making the decisions that promote healthier eating, wanting to be active and move, wanting to promote better sleep because it feels good to do so. I will send you guys a link to this article. I mean, it just blew my mind. You know, this is a guy like I always use the term on the on the show here, hashtag goals like this guy. I was like, I want to follow in this gentleman's footsteps because clearly he figured it the heck out. Um, you know, so that's pretty cool. The thing, though, that I, I, I want to talk to you about here is like it. I love the way that you were able to just kind of triage things there and talk about, well, what is in need of the most attention of those nine pillars? One of the things I was going to ask you is like, is it possible to rank which is the most important? Um, but it sounds like it's going to be a little bit different for everybody, depending on where they are at a particular time. Would I be correct in assuming that? That's exactly it. You just nailed it, right? And we've been on a, a lot of podcasts where people say, where do I focus first? What's the first pillar? What's the most important pillar? What are the top three things I got to do to have a wonderful life? All of those questions, you see how that's that, that model, that framework we're trying to turn around here. I think also having said that, because sometimes it feels weighty. Oh, I have to tend to all nine pillars and give attention and try and figure out which one is most important. There's a beauty in the integration of it. Our model is kind of an infinite an infinity loop. And what, when you make positive changes in one area, you start seeing the ripple effects in all of the others. So for example, somebody who is disconnected from their family and feeling really stressed out and really bothered and suppressing and repressing is most likely having, you know, unable to sleep. Their mind is worried about all of this disconnection. They're not happy. Um, they're not, not sleeping. Um, and, you know, studies show that again and again, again, that when you don't get enough sleep, you also make significantly less healthy food choices over the course of the day, eating many more calories than you would if you got sufficient sleep. If you're tired because you didn't get that sleep because you're disconnected from your family, you're not going to be motivated to move. Now you take the reverse. Now I'm finding a way to connect to my family, to find to find those positive changes. Oh, I'm expressive writing before bed. I'm able to sleep. Now I'm making the healthier food changes that get me motivated to also move. So it just shows how they're also interrelated. Right. And we and we sort of subgroup them. If you look at our essence of we heal, the diagram, there's self in the middle. There's four on the left, which are your internal world, and then there's four on the right, which is your external world. And if you think self to me is there's two steps to the self, and that's where we tend to start, which is one is regulating your nervous system, getting out of fight or flight, which a lot of people are living in chronically now, right? Regulating the nervous system, getting from that physiological state of threat to safety. And then once you're feeling safe, then you can tune in and say, well, what am I feeling? What are my needs? Right. And then that's important, right? Needs are, hey, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I'm really needing to feel more secure. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm really needing to be more inspired and have more meaning and purpose in my life. Okay. So that's tuning in now. What's going on? Now, how do we get start to get some energy in our internal world to resource ourselves a little bit more, give ourselves the fuel of nutrition? That's another pillar. And sleep and activity and play. So those are those are going to all resource you. So now you're you're not only connected to yourself, you know what you're needing and feeling, you're energized, you got fueled and now go to the external world and connect. And that's with your family and friends, your work, spirituality and the natural world, all of the life on this planet. And when you're able to connect to those four other pillars, you're resourced, your internal world, so you're energized and you're connected to yourself and not in fight or flight, life is wonderful. That's when not all these diseases start to improve in that state. So you don't have to focus just on the diet. You focus on all of this together. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, and um, an analogy I, I like to use is, I mean, the show 99% of the time focuses on nutrition. And when the experts come on, a lot of them, they can't stand this, what they call reductionist type of, of question. It's like, you know, focusing on one thing, like hyper-focusing on one thing, like that's going to be the thing that is going to magically cure everything that has been ailing a person. The 
preach the practice that often gets preached is you have to take this 10, 15, 20,000 foot view, look down and then assess it, right? So that's where eating the rainbow comes into play. So you have all of these things that work in conjunction with each other to really then build up that kind of optimum health. And it sounds like with your nine pillars, it works very much in the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. So the question then is this, it's like, if there's not a what's most important, how does a person determine where it is that they need to start? It's easy for me to look at these nine and say, well, I need to sleep more. I need to eat better. I need to exercise more. I would really love to have a better connection, a better relationship with my friends and my family. Certainly some steps I'd like to take with my work. And that could just be so overwhelming. How does somebody figure out like where they should be starting? Well, you know, you sound you sound a mess. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This uh, was a fictional guy. I very much <laughs> like my job. I'm just I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're just going to qualify that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, welcome to the club, you know, because at any given moment, there's multiple pillars out of balance and there's some pillars that are in balance. Some, you know, I'm worried about their balance in the future. So it's like, where do you, where do you start? And, and to me, it's like more, don't, don't strategize, right? Like we talk about before you strategize, do the connection first. And that's a, a new concept. So maybe I don't know if you, you wanted to talk about that, but I think to me, it's important that you, you, you don't, we don't have to change anything today, right? Let's just start getting immersed in this new framework, this new way of thinking. Let's become familiar with everybody, all the nine pillars. And then we can start doing a little check-in and start just learning how to do that. And that really is gonna give you some guidance. We can even walk you through a sample patient, for example. But I think it's, don't rush to do anything right now. We have time. Yeah, and I think for those people who are excited about making change and do wanna jump in, then um, for me, it's what, what resonates with you? Which of those pillars is something that you can actually do, right? Because we talked about that. Like you can know all about eating a whole plant based diet. But if you don't do it, it doesn't matter what you know. So if you you know about sleep, but you're not going to be able to tackle that, that might not be the first one you want to do. So of these nine pillars, if you can identify which is hurting the most, that's great. And if you can't, I would consider which one is resonating with me, which one's calling to me most, which one am I most excited to dive into? And again, the beauty of it is as it integrates, you're going to see that making a change in one of them will positively impact others. Right, and different people have different circumstances, right? So we talk about connecting to the self, but if you've experienced a lot of developmental trauma or acute trauma, that might be challenging. So knowing that that's somewhere you wanna go, but not putting pressure on yourself to force yourself to go there, which actually is counterproductive, right? You can say, okay, well, maybe I need some support with that, right? And there's some experts that can help me do this self-connection piece. I also want, I know it's really important to sleep. To me, that's non-negotiable. I want an eight hour sleep window and I will do whatever I can to not sacrifice sleep to be more productive, right? It's just, a. I know how much that ripples out into everything else. But if I'm struggling to sleep because I'm eating really unhealthy food before I go to bed and I'm waking up with heartburn and I, that's one issue. If I'm struggling to sleep because I'm living in fight or flight and mobilized and my nervous system is dysregulated, I'm going to come at sleep from a different angle. If I just didn't know about sleep hygiene and I just need some education around sleep hygiene and then, then I'm going to be off and sailing, that's another angle. So first we sort of figure out, okay, let's, let's start to go through the pillars. Let's do an intake. And then from that intake, that will often lead us towards the next steps. And that's, it's, Something that we sort of think we got to figure it out in our heads. A lot of people trust their intellect, but we also believe, and this actually falls under our spirituality pillar, there's organismic wisdom. And again, that sounds a little fluffy, right, for, for doctors to be talking about this potentially. But as you dive into this, you'll see that actually we have that and our body does tell us where to go next. And anybody who doubts sort of our body can, can do these things you know, think about, you know, as a doctor, we used to, I used to come in, come in at medical school. I remember thinking, I can fix everybody. And I, you know, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to be all, but you just take a broken bone, for example, do we heal broken bones? No, no, we don't. We, we align the bones maybe, but then the body figures out how to heal them. The body is telling us what to do. 
we don't make, you know, when we have babies, right? We don't figure out what to do. We sort of put the sperm and the egg together and then the body over nine months takes care of the rest. So there really is this organismic wisdom that's in there that we can tap into that we, we don't throw away the intellect, but we, we don't just value the intellect at the expense of all else. And sometimes the intellect takes us in a direction because of core limiting beliefs and, you know, other, other issues that actually get in the way of our healing. Right. So for example, the person that's like, the only way I'm going to be feel safe or loved and accepted is if I accumulate the most money absolutely possible, right? Or I have this job title. Now that belief system, which comes likely from developmental trauma or some type of experience that's affected their beliefs, is going to get in the way of their ability to heal. So we might talk about that, right? So to, do you see how there's all these different pieces we will go that will help direct us where to go next? And I think you mentioned one thing, which was take a little bit of time just to get to know these pillars. And I think that's really valuable because we often think, but, oh, it's going to take so much time to delve into this. The upfront investment pays in dividends later on. And it's it's the same thing as if you think of, of a fight you had. And so, you know, we didn't take a minute or five minutes or 10 minutes just to collect ourselves to kind of um, have self-empathy or whatever we need to show up in a way that will allow for connection. Instead, we just went right into the fight and then we eat ourselves up afterwards for hours and hours reliving that moment again and again and again. There's disharmony that lasts for a significantly longer time. So taking that time up front actually eliminates so much weight on the other end. Man, I could talk to y'all for, for like days. I'm, I'm, I'm like loving what you're putting down today. This is fantastic. Um, I do have a couple of more for you. You've been really nice with your time here. Hey Chuck, um, can I just check in? See, this is a connection. Let me get a real life connection thing. Talk Sometimes to me. I love to joke and play around and I just want to check in how my joke landed with you. And I said, you sound like a mess when you made that before. So I'm checking in on our connection right now. Well, let's talk about how it was vulnerable. I was like, is this guy trying to check me right now? Like that was my instinct was to be defensive. That's kind of like, I, I don't, I don't know why I went there today, but we'll just be a little bit vulnerable. But you know, I, I like that man, because it, it spurred me to think about something like what, what am I putting out there that he's picking that up, man. So, um, you're still all right in my book because you're spewing wisdom, you know, man. So you're, you're good with me. And, and to me, that's the beauty of, of, of focusing on connection is that I can, I can make mistakes. I can have misfires. And it's not about being perfect or right. It's about caring about the connection above all else. So I can say, hey, if I said something that stimulated you in some way, or I said something that stimulated somebody in your audience some way, my intention was to meet needs for playfulness which enhances connection, but hey, maybe it landed in a way that somebody felt vulnerable or embarrassed or ashamed even. And it doesn't mean I did something wrong. It just means, oh, I, I care about you too. And I just want to connect and I can repair, right? I can clean up my mess and I can repair the connection. If we have those skills, then we don't even have to let it go on set. I can just check in. So I just wanted to see how you were feeling. I'm doing good. Man. You're an insightful okay. dude to be able to pick up on that. You're, you're, you're insightful. Um, I'd like that. Okay. See, see, and, and, like and I really appreciate your vulnerability. Sure. And you know, and if anything, I can also express regret, right? Like, and it doesn't mean you have now you don't have to help me feel better. You can just say, Hey, I'm here for you, Matt. And I can say, hey, I have a little bit of regret. I would have liked to not joke around when somebody's expressing some vulnerabilities, you know, and I, Hey, that's okay too. So I just want to, I just, I, think, I thought it was great that we could actually show a real, a real time, just a quick connection. It doesn't have to be big even. In fact, when you do it with the little stuff, the big stuff gets easier. Nah, so how is, how is all that to hear or feel? I mean, it's, it's cool, man. I dig it. Um, and, and I think that, I don't know, maybe I didn't pick it up the way that you in, intended it uh, to come out initially, but um, I appreciate, you know, you kind of like putting that out there and now I'm not going to be carrying that, you know, around like, what, what was that check all about? So we're good, man. I'm feeling good about that. Yeah, and, and, you and you're feeling in your body right now. Hey, I actually feel different than before, even if it's subtle, right? Yes. You're like, oh, now I feel like this more open. I'm imagining expansive compared to before. It may be just a touch 
tighter versus looser? I'll tell you what I, what I feel more than anything is like a stronger connection with you. All right. Mm -hmm. Because 42 minutes ago, you and I had never said so much as hello to each other before, other than via email. And now here we are now. And I'm like, wow, we're having, you know, some really insightful, uh, conversation that's got some depth and some substance to it we're expressing some vulnerability which for two guys any two guys anywhere in the face of the earth to do that in their initial conversation that's pretty rare so we really are having ourselves a little rarefied air kind of an interview here today matt um yeah so and, I'm, I'm and, it, it, and it helps me too it's not just about you like i'm feeling more connected to you and i'm glad you pointed that out and i'm actually feeling a little bit of tenderness because, hey, no, but I'm serious. I, I mean, I'm, I really appreciate that because one of my big uh, concerns is that if I do joke and somebody doesn't tell me about it, hey, my need for acceptance or my need for our connection, are they going to just walk away, right? It's almost like that abandoned or they're going to tell other people how upset they are versus actually give me a chance to repair and reconnect. And I think to nowadays, if somebody makes a mistake or says something that hurts or stimulates pain in somebody else, it's we're so quick to attack that person and then they're going to get more defensive and double down versus be able to go to that place and say, hey, I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed and ashamed about what happened or, hey, I'm feeling really sad about what I just did and I'm really wishing I handled that differently. So to me, if we have those skills, not only does it help you and me and our health, but I really believe it helps make the world a better place. Well, I think we should check on Alona over there. Uh, we're having our little bromance and Alona's sitting there quietly. How are you doing, Alona? I'm taking it in. I'm enjoying. This is the, this is the magic. This is the magic of nonviolent communication. This is the magic of connection, and I love it. Do you think that this is the definition of what a real man is these days? <laughs> it's what I like to see in men. I love that. Yeah, I, right I, it adds depth and uh, and character and tenderness and yeah. I mean, right it's on. fantastic. Well, there you go. A couple of real men, Matt. That's a feather <laughs> in our cap, buddy. Virtual, virtual high five. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more quick ones. Um, I got to ask you because we have so many nutrition fans here um, on the show. Um, when, when people dive into this book, and there is a link to order your copy right now in the show description and in the episode notes, when people dive into the book, uh, how, you know, uh, how much nutrition education goes into this? Are they really going to dive into, you know, like plant-based 101? Is it a little bit beyond that? What are some of the fundamentals they'll learn? Yeah. So the book really touches on, it, it does touch on recommendations for, you know, what we think is, is uh, most health promoting diet. Um, but, but in relation to the additional nine pillars. So I wouldn't say it goes in depth. I know we offer, so part of our offering is um, our virtual platform, which is WeHeal. And that's where we take an opportunity to address, you know, fundamentals of nutrition, which is a Nutrition's 101 that can help support and supplement what we've offered in the book, like Matt said, you know, spending time just in that nutritional world is, is a book in and of itself. And, and, um, so a little hard to, to deliver that in wellness to wonderful, but I think that there's enough of a foundation there to get people started. Here's the beauty though. Um, the exam roomies, as I like to call our listeners here, um, I, I think that they are definitely super well-versed in nutrition, which means that they're ready for everything else, right? They're ready for the other pillars. So uh, this is this is pretty cool. Um, and lastly, my question to you is this. I always love to end interviews whenever possible on the highest note possible. And so if somebody really, I mean, they pick up a copy of the book, they read it cover to cover. And they start implementing these changes. And I mean, they are living life by these nine pillars. What do you think their risk would be for all of the chronic diseases that are so prevalent in our current lifestyle, in our current culture? Uh, what do you think their risk for these chronic diseases are compared to a lot of other people who are living that standard American lifestyle, eating that standard American diet? I think it goes to the basis of they're going to live longer, healthier, and with greater joy. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it. Matt, you look uh, you look like you want to say something, man. Those eyes, you're like, I'm thinking about something here. Well, I just, I mean, I sometimes the, it's, um, 
it's both wonderful and a curse at the same time. We really try to simplify, right? So if I if people ask me about what to do for food, I'll say there's basically you know five food groups: fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, which we include starchy vegetables in there, legumes, and some nuts and seeds, right? Some meaning a little bit, right? But the question: all you got to do is eat as much as you need to to feel satisfied whenever you're hungry from those five food groups or making dishes using the, those five food groups as ingredients, right? So if I just said that, and then we spend the rest of the time trying to explain and justify, okay, well, here's why that works and this is how it helps, right? So to me, the nutrition can be distilled down into something as simple as that, right? Now, obviously people can have you know, certain food allergies or certain, but on the, in general, that's, that's as simple as it gets. Similarly, if you can just share what's going on inside of you and not hold your feelings and needs alone and share them in a way that brings you closer together with somebody, no matter what happens, right? You focus on that, right? And we can start caring about everybody the way we care about ourselves, right? To me, it starts to really simplify, right? How do I, how do I start to do those things? And if I can focus on that, whether I get it exactly you know, right, like the book, or I get the right languages in nonviolent, that matters less. What's your intention? And I think it was, my intention is to eat this way, my intention is to connect to myself in this way. My intention is to connect to other people in this way. Life is going to get wonderful or more wonderful or closer to wonderful pretty quickly. So I, don't, I, I hope that simplifying it, you know, does it more justice and that some people, I remember one person asking me way back when they're like, which apple is a green apple healthier or a red apple healthier? And I laughed and I said, well, which one do you like better? And they said, I like red apples. I said, well, then that's healthier because you're going to eat more of them. <laughs> right. And they, they were like, no, no, no. Green apples are healthier. And they started explaining like the breakdown of the skin and and right. See, so we make it more complicated, which actually when people are confused, they do nothing. So the more we can simplify it when there's a lot that we have to do, the more likely people are going to take action. And when they take action and start doing things, that's when life starts getting better. Yeah, man. It's like healthier compared to what, you know, compared to the, the majority of things that, that a lot of us eat. I mean, come on, <laughs> eat whatever apple you want. Keep it simple. Don't overthink it. It's yeah. it's a lot easier. That, and it's less stressful, too. So um, and that all goes to self-care. And uh, and that's just one of these amazing nine pillars. And I mean, Matt Alona, you guys are just fantastic. I would love to bring you back. I feel like there's so much more that we could delve into here, but uh, we got to wrap things up for now. But congratulations on the release of the book, Wellness to Wonderful. There's a link to pick up your copy right now in the show description and in the episode notes. Thank you both so very much for your time today. This has just been absolutely fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. It was a real pleasure. It's your friend, Rip Esselstyn. Come get Plan Strong with me on July 12th in New York City. I'll be helping to celebrate an incredible 14 million downloads of the Exam Room Podcast with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. My doctor friends, Neil Barnard and Robert Osfeld, will also be there to make a toast to the most heart-healthy night of your life. Lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower the risk of heart disease or even reversing it. Plus, foods and tips that will help get you to chart a new course to a healthier future. But to get there, you have to be there in New York City, the Big Apple. Don't wait, get your tickets today, and I'll see you on July 12th. Congratulations, Chuck, and now let's all get Plan Strong together. I cannot wait for the exam room live in New York to do that with Rip and Dr. Barnard, Dr. Osfeld, Dr. Michelle McMacken. She's also going to be there. Chef Lauren Kretzer, cancer survivor and extraordinary wizard in the kitchen will also be there that night. I just absolutely cannot wait. I really do hope that you can join us for what truly is the most heart healthy night of your life on July 12th. So pcrm.org slash events to get your tickets today. There's also a link in the episode notes. And then save these dates as well. Dr. Barnard and I were talking about that on the last show, August 10th through 12th, the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine in Washington, DC. You're talking about three enormous days, 
filled with the latest in health research, preventative medicine, the power of nutrition presented in thorough detail. Dr. Christy Funk, she's going to be there. Dr. Christopher Gardner, Dr. Stephen Loam, of course, Dr. Barnard, Dr. David Katz, my co-host at One Healthy World, Dr. Gemma Newman, she will also be there, as will Brenda Davis. Phenomenal dietitian out of Canada, a mover and a shaker. My colleague here at the Physicians Committee, the vegan roadie, Dustin Harder, will be in the house. And how about these names? Dr. Michael Greger will be there, as will Dr. Dean Ornish. You really can't find a bigger presentation, a better conference to attend than ICNM. PCRM.org slash ICNM to get your seat reserved today. We do hope to see you in Washington, D.C. this August. Now, let's go back to our conversation with Drs. Pulday and Letterman. I mean, what a great conversation it was today. Like I said at the top of the show, it was a little bit of a departure from our usual nutrition-focused conversations, but but I will tell you that there is so much to what it is they were talking about in terms of connections and emotional health being major keys to living a long and healthy life. I want to share this headline from an article that was published by the Harvard Gazette. The headline is, Good Genes Are Nice but joy is better. (laughs) And for those of us who have tied the knot, I found this paragraph in the article particularly interesting. It says, the researchers also found that marital satisfaction has a protective effect on people's mental health. Part of a study found that people who had happy marriages in their 80s reported that their moods didn't suffer even on the days when they had more physical pain. Those who had unhappy marriages felt both more emotional and physical pain, however. The article, it also cited a quote from Robert Waldinger, and he's an expert on aging and longevity. He has a TED Talk that it's been viewed over 13 million times about this. And, and in that talk, he was discussing a study and said that the results left him absolutely gobsmacked. He said, quote, It wasn't their middle-aged cholesterol levels that predicted how the people in the study were going to grow old. He said it was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were the most satisfied at the age of 50 were also the healthiest at age 80. Well, isn't that something? And it seems like these principles hold true no matter what your circumstances are in life. Here's another piece from the article that I want to share with you. It says, Close relationships, more than money or fame, they are what keep people happy throughout their life. And those ties protect people from life's discontents and they help to delay mental and physical decline and they are better predictors of long and healthy lives. Better predictors than social class or IQ or even genetics. They say that the findings prove true across the board among both Harvard graduated men and inner city participants. So that's pretty daggone impressive right there. But let's look at another one of the pillars that Dr. Pulday and Letterman talk about in their book, Wellness to Wonderful, and that is sleep. Because sleep is, in fact, important. It is very important. But a lot of us struggle to get eight hours of shut-eye a night. I know I do. But there is some really good news here. I found another study that shows that exercise can actually help to counteract the negative effects of sleep deprivation on longevity. So what this study did was it looked at more than 90,000 people between the ages of 40 and 73, and they had a medium follow-up time of about seven years. So let's crunch some numbers. Let's check this out. It turns out that getting less than six hours of sleep per night was associated with a 16% increased risk of dying from any cause. However, sleeping too long 
which they defined as anything over eight hours, actually carried a 37% higher risk of death. Okay, so that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Turns out those risks, in both cases, whether you're getting too much or too little sleep, they can be erased with a high amount of exercise. And then researchers also wanted to look specifically at cardiovascular disease here in terms of sleep. And it turns out that sleeping too little, not getting enough, that was linked to a nearly 70% increased risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. But that too vanished with moderate to high amounts of exercise. Same too for the 21% increased risk of cancer that is tied to sleeping too much and exercising too little. The exercise also negated the risk. And that held true time and time and time again, no matter how researchers looked at the numbers. It's really interesting stuff. So let's wrap up by saying this. You eat the rainbow to get the highest quality nutrition. And then you have a wide variety of healthy habits for the highest possible quality of life and the best chance of hitting that genetic jackpot. And there's a link to the study in the episode notes. And on the next episode, we are going to be shifting our attention back to nutrition with gastroenterologist Dr. Robin Chutkin. She's here. She's the mastermind behind Gut Bliss. She will be my guest on the exam room live. And so you can join us live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or catch the replay right back here on the podcast first thing Thursday. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Drs. Alona Pulde and Matthew Letterman for being here, bringing the energy and raising our health IQs, making wellness into wonderful. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Keep it plant-based.